Good morning. Melbourne. Have you been there yet? It's beautiful, isn't it? And you're near the Great Ocean Road that goes toward Adelaide. You'll, if you haven't been there, you'll love it. Yeah. I'm envious. We were wanting God to call us to either New Zealand or Australia. And it never happened. Pardon? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, good morning. A couple things to begin with here. First of all, if my shirt looks wrinkled, that is no reflection upon my wife. Okay? I just pulled it out of the closet this morning, and that's okay. And the other thing is, um, that this tie was my father's tie. And I was told this morning, I had no idea, I was told by two people that these kinds of ties are in now. So even a guy like me, you know, if you just, you'll hit it sometime, and I did this morning. So I, and, and Justin tells me that everything fits. It matches. It matches. It matches. Yeah, and it fits too, yes. Oh. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm really looking forward this morning to sharing with you. I got to watch the clock here. I want you to know, Kenny, I did some serious pruning this morning. So I'm, I'm trying to stay within a time limit here. Last week, Gerald began this Advent series for us. A time when we're thinking about preparing our hearts to receive the Christ child anew in a fresh and, and hopefully transforming sense. And he began with John the Baptist, his, the herald of the coming Messiah, and the message of, of repentance. As Gerald said, um, of moving things out so that new things could come in. Repentance carries that idea. Technically, the, the word means to turn away from. Now, you know these things, but I'm just reminding you. Everything I'm going to tell you this morning, you probably know, but I'm going to be reminding you. Yeah. So, Gerald encouraged and exhorted us to a life of repentance, a, a, a pattern of habitually returning to the Lord. And, and that's the, uh, what we might describe the journey of a healthy soul, a soul in pursuit of God. The longer I have lived as a believer, the, the more, as, as the, uh, David says in Psalm 40, the more it seems like my sins rise above my head. And the more important 1 John 1, 9 has become to me. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we repent and confess. And that was Gerald's message to us through John the Baptist as we prepare our, our hearts 
for Christmas. And Christmas isn't ultimately about gifts or meals or time together, although those things are important and good. Christmas is ultimately about receiving the, the indwelling Christ within us, celebrating these stupendous things that we've been singing about. The words of Charles Wesley boggle the mind. And we want to do that this week. Hopefully we can do that by considering Mary. She's a very misunderstood figure by obviously by Roman Catholics and uh, Orthodox Christians, but she's also, I think, misunderstood by Protestants and, and evangelicals. But we're not going to go there. We're not going to, this isn't a historical theology class. Instead, we want to acknowledge that Mary is a very unique figure in the biblical story of redemption. Like Noah, and Moses before her, the only other two, it says that she found favor with God. That there was an extraordinary kind of grace upon her life. But she was only a teenager. And a young one at that. And as we sang here this morning in this nowhere place... Her identity for us, yes, she was the mother of Jesus. But her identity, and I, I want you to catch this, is really defined by the supernatural nature of her relationship with God. Because that which was conceived in her was by the Holy Spirit. Okay, God overshadowing her. And as we sang again this morning, thank you, Kenny, and all the rest of you that entering into her womb. Amazing. Amazing. With this in mind, I would like this morning to propose a parallel between Mary's experience and that of ours as New Testament believers. In the words of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Mary, in a sense, was, is a kind of prototype of a new covenant believer. The Christ dwelt in her supernaturally by the Spirit. The Christ dwells in us supernaturally by the Spirit. And so Mary is uh, an example to us. And we want to consider her carefully this morning if we can. Now, her life as I was talking with someone yesterday about this. You could write a whole book, obviously, on her life. We're not going to, we can't do that this morning. And I'm not very good at trying to keep things short, but I'm going to try that this morning. So we want to look at her in three ways, if we can. One, the nature of God's word to her. We want to consider that. The cost of her belief. And then the character of her belief. All of this working toward answering the question, how is it that God is speaking to us about preparing room in our hearts? So let's begin with the nature of God's word to her. And I, let me begin by saying, I wish that I had the tongue or the, the words of Charles Wesley 
to do some kind of justice to the magnitude of what is revealed in, in these simple verses, particularly verses 32 and 33. Now, remember with me that way back, God had asked Noah to build a boat out in the middle of nowhere and in the anticipation that rain was going to come. You know, we don't think much about that. The only problem with that was it had never rained before. Never. Okay, the, the earth was enveloped in this kind of water canopy. And so what was going to happen was totally unprecedented. Um, not Moses. Noah. He had no oral history it wasn't like, you know, sometimes you, we live in this big L.A. area and I hear it poured in, you know, Whittier and we didn't see a drop, you know, over where we are or something like that. It, it had never rained anywhere. So here, to this fool for Jesus, in a sense, God calls Noah to build a boat. Just God and Noah. And Noah ordering his life based on what God told him was going to happen. And in the same way, that's what Mary was doing. There was, it was unprecedented. How in the world could a woman have a child without a man? That, that just, I mean, that's impossible. But you know what? She believed it. She believed that what God said would happen. The miracle was unprecedented. In fact, it went beyond what was possible. It was beyond impossible in a sense. So in terms of the nature of God's word to her, this first thing I, I want you to note is that uh, they weren't believe, uh, believing in something that, or in a way that somebody else had done before them. You and I do that. Lots of people have believed before us. But try to imagine that God was asking them to believe something that had never happened. So, the next thing I want you to notice is that Mary was asked to believe with very little explanation. She was left with a lot of mystery. And you and I, for the most part, probably don't like mystery. We like answers. We, we're not crazy about unanswered questions. And her one question, which didn't doubt the fact of the miracle, but only its method, was even then answered, shrouded in the mystery of the work of the Spirit of God. It was, it was all so unpredictable and improbable, even kind of romantic in a way. Just amazing what God was doing. And she believed it. She was willing to be suspended, in a sense, not understanding and not knowing. This is the nature of God's word to her. Now, God's will and ways often leave us with perplexing questions for which we are not given the kind of rational, intellectually satisfying answers we crave. 
Most often we are left to respond in faith, trusting that God knows what he's doing. Trusting. As we sit here this morning and listening to our, wherever Betsy is, our dear brother and sisters leaving us. I don't like leaving. Karen and I have done a lot of leaving over the years. A lot of goodbyes. I don't like that. I like hellos. But God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And that brings us to this other thing about the nature. And this is where, again, I wish I had the words. God was asking her to be part of what he was doing in human history through his son, the Messiah. It, it was going to be the fulfillment of an ancient promise of redemption birthed within the council of the triune and holy God in eternity past. Just try to, try to imagine this. And, you know, we throw words around like great and awesome and all the rest of that. This, this is awesome. This is great. This is larger than the, the Super Bowl and the whatever else and presidential elections and all the rest. Of it. It's larger than earth. It's larger than our lives. And he was asking her to be part of that. The coming together of God's eternal purposes to the patriarchs and to David and to us as new covenant believers by which his kingdom would come into this world of darkness and ignorance and lies. It is a, was and is a stupendous plan <laughs> to take all that went wrong, all the death, all the pain, all the suffering, and my heart aches with that, as I'm sure yours does at times when we are so saturated with news about people suffering all over. And he's going to transform that into that which is holy and good and pure and righteous and beautiful. He was asking her to be part of that. It is breathtaking. What, what the angel was declaring to her. Listen to these words in verses 32 and 33. Speaking of this child, he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, by the way, if you want to learn about that, the book of Daniel. That was Nebuchadnezzar's lesson, chapter 4. That Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the Most High. Yahweh was Most High. Okay? And Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest ancient ruler that ever lived. Okay? He was son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will be, there will be no end. It's a forever and forever kingdom. God taking all these threads, weaving them together at this moment in history, in the womb of Mary, asking her to be part of all that God's doing. You know, and the wonderful thing is, <laughs> he's asking the same thing of us. 
that coming to Christ and being saved isn't about escaping hell. It's not hell insurance. It's about being united to God and his heart and his mind in the redemption of the entire physical universe and of the souls of men and women. This is what God was asking her to be part of, this breathtaking panorama of God's sacred history. This was the nature of his word to her. And all he was asking her to do as a young woman capable of bearing a child was to offer this ability. Now, Deciding whether to quickly, I'll go through this. Yeah, this. It's instructive to us, I think, to remember that at that time, a lot of things were going on in Rome and Carthage and Alexandria, Jerusalem, but that's not where God was focused. A lot of things are going on around in the world today. But God's focus is here, the living God. The angel Gabriel wasn't sent to the religious elite of Jerusalem. He was sent to, to uh, Nazareth, this despised village. God wasn't looking for national attention. He wasn't looking for a superwoman or a superman. He was involved with a person like you and me. I, I just find that glorious. Isn't it? <laughs> Just ordinary people like us that God wants to be involved with us. Why? Like Ruth in front of Boaz. You know, who am I? A foreigner that you should find or I should find favor in your side. And that brings us well, let me say this last little part here. As those who have been elected by God and called into intimacy with him through the <coughs> excuse me, new and eternal covenant, we are fellow participants with Mary and being Christ bearers in this world. And we get to savor his promises and his ways. Now, I ask you this morning, can you see yourself that way? Is that your identity? Is that what defines you? I was talking with Sarah Kelly before we started this morning that Jesus from Nazareth, for those people that defined who he was, it described him but it didn't define him. And what defined Mary was this relationship with Jesus. And that's what defines us. That's who we are. And this is what we've been called to. So that's the nature 
of God's word, of God's promise to her in this improbable place and to you and I as well. That brings us to the cost of her belief. Now, Mary was officially betrothed to Joseph. The only way that could be broken was by divorce. Um, and she was found to be with child. That in our culture today, this is more scandalous, I think, than you and I can imagine. It would brand her. She would be marked and stigmatized, a woman of disgrace. And she would come under great disapproval, perhaps even shunned by her culture. You and I need to remember here for a moment that for Mary, her village, her relationship with Joseph was her whole world. For, for the role of, or excuse me, for the, the poor of rural Israel, their village was their world. You and I don't think a thing about driving or flying somewhere hundreds or thousands of miles away. We don't think anything about calling someone a long ways away. It's just normal. But for people like Mary, to travel 20 or 30 miles was a major undertaking. To travel 40 or 50 miles to, to go to Jerusalem for the sentence, excuse me, the census was a kind of once-in-a-lifetime experience. I mean, you can't even get out of L.A. in 50 miles. Just imagine how small. Remember that. So for her to be disgraced and branded in that world was a very heavy price. In 1850, Nathaniel Hawthorne published his famous novel, The Scarlet Letter. How many have read that? Oh, good, I'm glad to see that. Yeah, remember it's the, the kind of psychologically wrenching story of Hester Prynne, the supposed widow of a, a sailor who is found with child. And she's found guilty of adultery. And she goes to prison. And the book takes great pains to describe what this prison looks like. It's like, you know, for the most wanted by the FBI kind of thing. And she had committed adultery, supposedly, or she had. Anyway, she's let out of that prison and she's made to stand with her infant child by the stocks in front of this hostile uh, community in front of her who taunt her and, and say terrible things to her. She's required to wear this red A on her chest for the rest of her life. This is the kind of thing that Mary would face. 
She would be exposed to great public disgrace. In her world, it was a grim and dreadful prospect, a constant scandal that she could never outlive. She would always be known as the adulteress. This, for Mary then, to receive this promise meant that she had to be willing to be, I put out of step, that doesn't do justice, with the world she lived in. She was being called to the hard and narrow road of self-denial and of faith. And as a result of that, Mary has enfleshed for us a, a theology, a, a little volume of theology for us, of what it means to be a Christian. How it is that God has asked us to respond to his word, to us, to each of us. How are we supposed to contribute? How are we supposed to invest our lives? How are we supposed to pour out ourselves, as Paul speaks of? Now, one of the answers to that question is to realize that the faithful integration of the gospel into our lives is going to cost us something. In 2 Samuel 24, David says, I will not offer burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. We cannot expect to follow the Lamb of God and not have it cost us dearly. And I don't know about you, I struggle with that. I don't, I don't like that part of the deal. I like the eternal life part, the missing hell part, but I don't like the cost part. As Jesus' disciples, and Mary, in a sense, was one, we are called to take up our cross daily and follow him on the road of self-denial and sacrifice. You know, it can be a fearful thing to open up ourselves to God and to be willing to surrender ourselves to his will without qualification, unconditionally. I will be honest with you this morning. I can't do that yet. Oh, sure. Karen and I left kids and home and all that and went overseas. But there was, there was still, it was a cost that I was okay. It was within the, the limits of what was acceptable and tolerable. But to just say, it's, I'm all yours, regardless. But that's what God's calling us to. It was the cost Mary was willing to pay. It did not keep her from unblinkingly believing and trusting and submitting. Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Cost. 
sacrifice, pain, loss, being humbled. You and I are probably willing to sacrifice something to follow Jesus, but most of us want to remain in control of the cost. Mary gave up that condition in her surrender. So I asked this morning, and I asked myself, are we willing to let go of placing conditions on the cost of our discipleship? Those are, that's a hard question. The Bible isn't, doesn't toy with us. The Bible isn't about sentiment or emotion. The Bible speaks to us in really kind of cold-blooded terms. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is, these are the kinds of people that God feels at home in. Now, Kenny reminded us this morning, <coughs> by increments, we are transformed. Hallelujah. We, we, can't, we can't get all the way in one step, but we can take a step at a time, can't we? Take a step at a time. And that's what God is calling us to, you and me, like Mary, to take the next step in our surrender and the willingness, <coughs> excuse me, to pay the cost. That brings us to the character of her belief. Those words, they just ring in my ears. Behold the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Now, if you were to describe Mary's action, her decision, what kinds of words would you use? Uh, submission, surrender, Yieldedness, lowliness, humility. Yeah, we, we, all those words are, are correct, I believe. But to more fully appreciate Mary's decision, we need to flesh out these words. At their core, these words carry the idea of being brought down or to be made low. Put another way, practically speaking, in her life, it meant to lose stature and respect. It means someone else is in control of our lives. Now think about this. Being brought low is something we struggle with. None of us like to be humbled, humiliated. We despise and avoid it if possible. But Mary willingly surrendered with eyes wide open. She knew what this meant in her culture. She completely entrusted her reputation and destiny to God in a kind of free fall where only God could catch her. It was an amazing response because it is so antithetical to our nature and our cultural um, 
instincts. One of the fundamental impulses of sin is our obsession to be in control. Self is the ultimate authority. We fight to be in charge of ourselves so that we are protected and that our desires are met because, you know, bottom line, we're suspicious of anybody else. Nobody loves me as much as I love me. <laughs> Nobody knows how to make me as ha happy as much as I know how to make me happy. I know what's best, don't I? Don't I? <laughs> don't you? No? In our sane moments, we say no. But, you know, what, are, what do our lives look like? <clears throat> the root of sin which we're talking about, is rebellion against the control and authority of the Creator God. It is to seek life independently from God and His laws. It is a radical kind of bentness away from God. And it perverts every fiber of our being. It is to say, we will not have this man rule over me. Or us. I will not have this man rule over me. That's what the crowds in, in, in Jerusalem were saying that day. We want Barabbas. We don't want this man. Crucify him. But by her words, Mary declared, I will have this man rule over me. Hallelujah. I, I want to be like that, don't you? I want to say, I will have this man rule over me. That he'll have the final word. I will deny this obsession to control my own life and to escape the sacrifices I will need to make. I will silence the claims of self over all things and bow to my Lord and sovereign. I will choose to be different and to walk the narrow path of devotion to my Lord and Savior. In surrendering to the grace and word of God, Mary was willing to risk all in trusting the promise of God that she would bear the infant son, Jesus, regardless of the cost. She was a woman who had been held captive by the Christ child. She was his prisoner. Are, are, are we prisoners of the Christ child? Are, are we held bound by him? You know, th these are the questions I ask myself. I'm not asking you something that I don't struggle with in my own heart and soul. And ask. Because we're talking about the reality of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Not just about church on Sunday morning and singing glorious words. 
and risking a little bit going out, you know, feeding the homeless or whatever. We're talking about what's going on inside of me. Am, am I bent low toward God or am I bent away from God? Mary's kind of, <coughs> excuse me, submission <coughs> to the authority of another is quite foreign to us. It's worlds away from the world we live in. But that doesn't make any difference. That's what transformation is about. But Mary's words remain. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Mary's was a will bent toward obedience to God, regardless of her feelings or confusion. It was a costly obedience, like David said. It was a kind of quiet heroism. There was no choir, no music, no bands, no community around her, no brothers and sisters, nobody to call on the phone. It was Mary and God through the angel Gabriel. And I, I, I wish we had time to go off and talk about God getting us alone and getting us in a corner and dealing with us. That's how he does things. Maybe he has you in a corner right now. When we have no one else to turn to but him. And Mary submitted. She surrendered. At times, we are called upon to trust God with lots of questions and few answers, to trust when things are truly outside of our control. And we cannot change that. We're helpless. I hadn't planned on this, but just a quick, a quick illustration. When I was, uh, Karen and I were in Bible college years ago, not long after uh, we were both saved. Chris and Karen and me and Julie were all together there at Multnomah up in Portland. And about the second year I was there, um, I developed this hideous looking rash around my mouth and around both eyes. And I lost weight. Uh, I weigh about 170 right now. My weight went down to 150. Yeah, we discovered eventually that I had hypoglycemia and that helped. But for 18 months, I'd get up and face myself in the mirror and I was hideous looking. And there was nothing I could do about it. And I had a job that I delivered things and I would go out in public and see these people. And maybe you're not sensitive about those things. I was. It was terrible. And I couldn't do anything about it. But it's marked me forever. Not that I had that much to be proud about. Anyway, but what I had left, it took it. <laughs> okay? 
It hurt terribly. I broke the top of my desk, I remember once, slamming my fist on it. I punched a hole or two holes in our, our headboard, wham, with my frustration about all of this, or all of that. And then one day, it was gone. We hate that. But God does his deepest work in our lives, like here at this point with Mary. We're called to trust when things are truly outside of our control and when we can't change it. But we move forward trusting that the living, all-wise, and absolutely good God knows what is best. Truly, my dear sister-in-law, We need to cling to that in the face of what can appear to be just the opposite in our circumstances. So I ask you this morning, as I ask myself, are we willing to define ourselves by our yieldedness to Christ? Not by our performance, not how many people we witnessed to, how, much, you know, how big the check was that we wrote, or, or other good deeds, or, or whatever else. my Bible reading, but our submission to the will and word of God. Those are the people, Mary and a host of others in biblical history, who tell us that God is pleased to draw close to and bless and use for his eternal purposes, who are yielded, surrendered, who embrace this grand purpose that he calls us to. Are we increasingly ready to submit to God's will and word? Are we ready to surrender our need to be in control? Mary proved herself to be of a character and nature through which the Lord God Almighty could do his greatest work. He could indwell her be at home in her, entrust his son to her in those early years when he was so vulnerable and to Joseph. She was a marvelous vessel for him to fill. She was prepared to receive him and to be held captive to his will. So I ask us this morning to think about her example Are we prepared to receive the Christ with a yielded and obedient heart? How submitted are we? How surrendered? How important is this to you this morning? This is just another Sunday in an Advent sermon and, you know, and check that off and on we go. We can fancy ourselves as more devoted, more committed, more obedient than we truly are. Let me read that again. We can fancy ourselves as more devoted, more committed, more obedient than we truly are. That we're more in love with Jesus than we truly are. It's probably true of all of us to some degree. But, you know, that deception can change. 
We can repent and we can will by the grace of God to resist the demands of our fallen natures and surrender, yield ourselves anew to the Christ child and be prepared to be his captive. That's what God's calling us to this morning. To be like Mary. Isn't that glorious? To be like Abraham and Noah. Huh? To be like Jesus. Not my will, but thine be done. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, um, I'm reminded of the story of Elisha and his servant caught in that city. But Elisha could see beyond the circumstances. He could see the heavenly host that surrounded the city. And through Mary, um, through your word, we get to see beyond the particulars of our lives, where we live, how tall we are, what our job is. Mary was seized, Lord, by something, the grandest, most amazing something that exists, by you and your purposes through your son, the Christ child. You are asking us, Lord, to join her, to receive this gift, your son, in a fresh and transforming way. Please do that in us, Lord, for your sake, for the sake of this community that we live in, for the sake of our children, our friends, the place where we work. We ask you, Father, and we're trusting you now, praying through Jesus, the gift, and the master of our souls. Amen.